if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. On AM 1420, The Answer. Yes, indeed it is. <clears throat> Excuse me, and a good morning to you. Thank you so much for joining us. As we get started at eight minutes after the hour, hour of nine o'clock on this Monday, the third morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord 2020. Coming up on the big show today, three important guests, the first of which uh, is Congressman Jim Jordan. He has done an unbelievable job in numerous congressional committee hearings this past week. Uh, Congressman Jordan worked so hard in trying to give Attorney General Bill Barr a fair shot at answering all of the criticisms of the leftists who were in charge of that committee. Simply an amazing job, and uh, we're going to talk to him about that. Then on Wednesday last week, Jim Jordan grilled some of the high, uh, the highest executives in the uh, big tech world, uh, the social media platform overlords who continue to push leftism and push liberal politics and candidates and silence conservatives. He was an extraordinary uh, part of that on Wednesday. Then, as if that wasn't enough, that's pretty good week's work for anybody already. Then Congressman Jordan uh, played an essential role in uh, uh, discussing the coronavirus. He asked, asked some very pointed questions of Dr. Anthony Fauci, the sainted one who is not allowed to be touched. Congressman Jordan touched him uh, and pointed out the hypocrisy that some of our national respected leaders in terms of COVID-19, the Chinese coronavirus, um, they may be playing a little bit of politics with this. Uh, he asked him pointedly about protests and the role that they play in spreading the virus and why, if he is calling for things to be shut down like sports, why is Anthony Fauci not calling for an end to protests in which hundreds, if not thousands of people, gather together in very close quarters, potentially spreading the disease. So Jim Jordan had a busy week, and he's not done. Uh, we're going to talk to him about what's coming up this week as well. That's at 948 at 1010 this morning. Really uh, an honor. We're going to be talking with the former Attorney General of the United States of America, Matt Whitaker. He is going to talk to us <clears throat> about a number of things going on in the country right now, not the least of which is, of course, the election, which is just uh, a little bit over 90 days away. And he has written a piece, has former AG Matt Whitaker, uh, about Joe Biden calling him directly the Chinese Communist Party's candidate for president. What does he mean by that? Why? We're going to ask him. That'll be coming up uh, at uh, 1010. And then at 1035, uh, we are also going to talk with um, 
We are going to talk then with uh, Steve Carty, and he is a member of the Trump 2020 Advisory Board, and he is a former police officer. And we're going to talk to him about disbanding or defunding police, abolishing police in American cities, and what can be done to restore the rule of law and order. And more importantly, how this country will look without law and order in a potential Biden presidency. So Jim Jordan, Matt Whitaker, and Steve Cardian are the guests coming up on the program today. I want to start, though, uh, with the coronavirus and what it means to your children. Teachers in this country apparently do not consider themselves to be essential. You understand that? Teachers in this country don't think that their work is essential enough to report to work. A recent survey, nationally, teachers... 65% of them do not believe schools should be reopened for in-person classes and that they should be forced to, quote, put their lives on the line, end quote, in order to get up in front of a classroom full of students. They say they love their students and they want to be with their students, but they can't do them very much good if they're dead. They're literally playing the, we are putting our lives on the line if we walk into a classroom card. All because they don't, A, want to go back to work. They'd rather teach from their dining rooms or from their living rooms or from their easy chairs and then give the kids some work and then sign off and go on about their day. Number That's number one. And number two is they are being politically manipulated by their own, meaning the teachers' unions, very dangerous and very powerful and very political teachers' unions, the NEA. National Education Association, or Educators Association, and the AFT, the American Federation of Teachers. Very politically powerful, and they are not only saying we shouldn't go back into classes and we don't want to go back into classes uh, while the COVID pandemic is still going on, but moreover, we're not going back into classes unless we get certain conditions met. And then they have a big laundry list of social justice initiatives, including giving voting, or excuse me, giving uh, um, uh, stimulus payments to illegal aliens because they didn't get them the first time around. If there is to be a new stimulus outlay, $1,200 per person, they want illegal aliens to get those as well because some of their students uh, are uh, children of illegal aliens and the students themselves are illegal aliens and they deserve every bit of an opportunity that uh, American citizens do. So American taxpayers have to foot the bill for people who have broken the law and are here illegally, already using our school resources, already using our school our uh, health resources, and on down the line, there are just a big there's a big list of things that the teachers unions want, and they don't want the schools to be open until they get those things. So what I would ask is this: Do you believe? And I'm asking you this question: Do you believe that we should be following the advice and the and the um, guidance? of the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Because that's what we are told by our leftist masters every day. CDC, listen to the science. Do what the CDC says. The CDC is always right. Never mind the CDC used the same faulty, flawed models at the very beginning of this whole thing that people like Dr. Amy Acton, the walking lab coat, uh, did here in the state of Ohio. Never mind that the CDC has been wrong. We have been told the CDC is infallible. Listen to the CDC. So we say, okay, let's look and see what the CDC says. Well, lo and behold, the Center for Disease Control leader, Robert Redfield, the director, has warned Congress now of significant public health 
consequences if schools are not reopened. Suddenly, the science doesn't make sense to those who said, listen to the science, listen to the doctors, listen to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The head of the CDC warned Congress on Friday, just three days ago, of, quote, significant public health consequences if schools don't reopen in the fall. Millions of children get nutritional and mental health services at schools, Dr. Redfield told a House Select uh, subcommittee uh, about the uh, coronavirus outbreak. He said school reopenings must be done smartly. It's important to realize that it's in the public health's best interest for K-12 to students to go back to -to face-to-face learning. There were very significant public health consequences of the school closure. Now, the same CDC leader, Robert Redfield, also said in a separate interview last week that he has been studying, uh, and the CDC has been studying, the number of suicides and drug overdoses among teenagers, high school age students in particular in this country. And they are astronomical in terms of the increase year over year since the coronavirus this year has begun and schools were shut down. Students are desperate. High school teenagers who are forced to stay locked up in their homes and don't have opportunities to go to school and learn in person and socialize, A, they're not learning, and B, they are becoming increasingly increasingly rather uh, depressed. They're depressed, they're sad, and they are turning to other things to help them get by. Many of those things are drugs. And then other things, as noted, uh, when the depression gets so much, there are the increase in suicides and suicide attempts uh, have outweighed the number of COVID deaths among high school students. Let me say that again. More students are killing themselves, and more students are overdosing and using drugs than are getting infected by and dying from COVID-19. That's extraordinarily important. Mental health services that can help them deal with these things are usually available at schools, he said. 7.1 million kids get their mental health service at schools. They get their nutritional support from schools. And this increase in drug use disorder as well as suicide in adolescent individuals, quote, I do think that it's really important to realize it's not public health versus the economy about school reopening. It is important to get these schools open for the kids' sake. Not to mention, as President Trump said Thursday at a a press briefing, the lower people are in age, the lower the risk. We have to remember there's another side to this. Keeping them out of school and keeping work closed is causing death also. Economic harm, but it's causing death for different reasons. Uh, Probably more so. And he, President Trump, was correct because he cited the CDC's work. So, the CDC says it's extraordinarily important to get the schools open. And yet, what are the majority of schools here in Northeast Ohio doing? They're announcing they're going to be closed. Their teachers are cheering. Yay! We shouldn't have to go put our lives on the line, they say. And I talked about this somewhat last week, and I want to talk about it again now, very briefly. I've always felt that schools were as essential to the health of a community as a hospital. I have always felt that schools are as essential and as important as hospitals. Education is the foundation upon which, uh, upon which uh, one's life is built. Education is the foundation upon which communities are built. And a much of underserved and undereducated people, especially a generation of them, will have an extraordinary de- detrimental impact on that community. But the teachers themselves don't agree. 
they don't think that they are as essential as not only medical workers, but apparently since they feel like the schools can remain closed, and they can just throw a few videos up for them on a on a laptop, if the kids are fortunate enough to have laptops, by the way, they feel like uh, they, they are not only as not essential as public health workers, but they're not as essential as uh, grocery store cashiers, as Walmart workers, as Home Depot employees. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the fact that those people go to work every day in a far more dangerous situation to catch coronavirus than a teacher would. A grocery store cashier is going to have to touch every single item that a customer touches and puts on her conveyor belt or his conveyor belt. They're going to touch everything that the other person touched. Then they're going to transfer money or cards They're going to perhaps come in, even though they may be masked, and even though there may be shields between them, there is going to be a closer contact between a customer and a cashier than there would be between a student in a a seat and a teacher in front of the room, keeping at least six feet of distance between them. A cashier is going to encounter people of all ages and all various differing uh, health conditions, some of which may be more severe than others and much more likely to be catching or carrying the coronavirus and much more likely than to infect one of those workers at the Home Depot or at the, at the Walmart of the world or the grocery stores of the world or whatever. And they show up and go to work for a hell of a lot less money than teachers get to stand in front of a classroom of children who are not of all ages but are of the most protected ages in terms of infection in the world. Young people are the safest in the world in terms of getting infected and or transferring or transmitting that disease to others. The science also says that. So teachers and the NEA and the AFT, with all of their politics in mind, are essentially saying keep the schools closed so we don't have to stand up in front of a room wearing a mask in front of, front, of, uh, front of a bunch of other kids who wear masks. Remember, we're told that the masks are the answer. Who are all at least six feet away from her and six feet apart from each other with the way their desks are being set up in the new configurations. It's still life and death for us to go stand in front of a bunch of kids who aren't carriers and a bunch of kids who aren't transmitters. It's more dangerous for us than it is uh, uh, these, uh, these store workers. Think about how insane that is. I ask teachers right now, make the call. Are you essential or are you not? Because if you're not essential, you need to go. If you don't feel like your job is important enough to do in class, you need to resign that job and give it to somebody who will. I've had just about enough of the whining teachers' unions. Now, if you're a classroom teacher listening to me right now and you're offended by all of this, understand it may not refer to you. If you are among the 35% of those surveyed saying, we want schools to be open, we want to be in there, we agree, we are essential, God bless you and thank you for your dedication to the, to the kids. But if you're a part of that 35%, well, uh, you know, you're, you are in the minority, obviously. The 65% who want, want everything to stay shut, they are the ones that I say to, the, to them, I say this, do your job or resign your job, your choice. Right back after this, AM 1420, The Answer. Look up here, man, I'm in danger. It's the Bob France Authority, here on AM 1420, The Answer. 
All right, onward at 926. Thanks for being with us. AM 1420, The Answer. Don't forget Congressman Jim Jordan coming up at 948 this morning. You're going to want to hear that. I want to stay on the coronavirus. I want to stay on um, the messaging. Because the messaging continues to be that the U.S. has mismanaged the coronavirus. We have more cases than anywhere else in the world because we don't know what we're doing. That's the message that is being launched by the Joe Biden campaign, by the congressional Democrats, and yes, by the mainstream media, which of course is doing the work as the press arm of the mainstream or the uh, the congressional Democrats. The mainstream media is working hand in hand, and Molly Hemingway. Uh, was on Fox saying, you know what, it almost seems like, and I think I might take away the almost here, that the media is actually rooting for the virus to win because it helps Democrats politically. I think the issue with media coverage is just how much uh, panic is inherent in the media coverage. You had said that these numbers were unthinkable, and they are horrible, and it's just it's so sad to see how many people have died from this. They're not altogether that unthinkable if you compare it to what happened in 1957 with the Asian flu, the equivalent of 220,000 or so Americans died in that pandemic. In the Spanish flu in 1918, it was like 1.6 million Americans who died from that, and there's no evidence that Woodrow Wilson had even said anything public about it in other words especially in 1957 uh, and i read a great essay about that on the air a couple of weeks ago uh in 1957 they they knew exactly what was going on but nobody freaked out and said let's lock up the country nobody freaked out and said we need to keep everybody in their place wearing masks etc etc shutting down the economy they just said let's go out there and deal with it and deal with it they did eventually the herd immunity built up and we all know the rest and in here in uh, uh, 2020, of course, my goodness, nobody is allowed to get sick. So has the U.S. mismanaged this situation? Well, I guess it might depend on whether or not you trust those who are doing the counting. Let's go back to Robert Redfield again, the U.S. CDC, the uh, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, who told us schools need to be open. He is also telling us that, yes, hospitals are overcounting coronavirus deaths, because they have a monetary incentive to do so. He admitted this over the weekend. Actually, it was on Friday. Quote, I think you're correct in that we have seen this in other disease processes, too. Really, in the HIV epidemic, somebody may have a heart attack, but also have HIV, and the hospital would prefer the classification HIV death, because there was a greater reimbursement. He said this during the House panel hearing on Friday. He then said, so I do really think there is some reality to that. When it comes to death reporting, though, ultimately, it's how the physician defines it in the death certificate. And we review all of those death certificates. So I think probably it is less operable in the cause of death, although I won't say there are not some cases. I do think, though, when it comes to hospital reimbursement issues or individuals that get discharged, there could be some play in that for sure. In other words, we can't trust the doctors who are reporting this because the doctors answer to whom? Their bosses on the boards, the hospital boards. And guess what they tell them to do? Make us money, especially because so many hospitals lost millions when they were forced to cancel all procedures that were considered to be elective or not extraordinarily necessary, treatments and procedures, for months because they had to uh, hollow out the buildings to make room for the massive crush of coronavirus patients that would be coming in. Then they never got the coronavirus crush, and then they didn't have their regular uh, patients in for treatment, and guess what? They lost millions. Now they got to make those millions up, so everybody who does come in is being called a COVID patient. 
And when you have the CDC director admitting that, that that is happening in some circumstances, you better believe it is widespread in many circumstances. The other part of the counting that you better consider is the fact that we have, you know, President Trump has been accused uh, of, uh, of arguing with Dr. Anthony Fauci about the surge in cases here. And President Trump did say that Anthony Fauci is wrong. He said, this isn't a surge in cases, this is a surge in testing. We are testing more than anybody else in the world by, a fact, by, by huge factors. That was supported by Admiral Brett Giroir, who said that our testing has increased uh, over 80%. So thank you, and it's good to be on again. And I I do want to put some things in perspective. Of course, we've increased our testing by 32,000%. We're completely... Sorry, I said 80%. The 80% is coming up. Getting over 80% of our tests within three days, almost 90% within five days. Of course, we're going to improve that. We're continuing to improve that. We have increased our testing, he said, by 32,000%. European countries and other nations around the world have stopped testing or decreased it significantly. And then suddenly we look like we're the only ones who don't know what we're doing. How come they're not seeing these massive surges? And we are. Because we continue to test and, in fact, have increased it by an astronomical amount. All right, I got time for your phone calls right after the news. 216-901-0945. Coming up, AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 937, we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. I want to hit this real fast and then get a call or two in here before Jim Jordan comes on because I want to talk about Jim Jordan and I want to talk about what I just mentioned with Dr. Anthony Fauci as we continue to battle not just the coronavirus, the Chinese coronavirus, the Wuhan coronavirus, if you will, but we continue to battle the response by many big government uh, supporters who uh, want to, the American people to be locked up, shut down, masked, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, let's talk about the reality here. Dr. Anthony Fauci continues to say that there is a surge and that we have not necessarily done the best job. Quote, if you look at what happened in Europe when they shut down or locked down or went into shelter in place, they really did it to the tune of about 95% of the country that did that. When you actually look at what we did, even though we shut down, even though we created a great deal of difficulty, we really functionally shut down only about 50% in the sense of the totality of the country. President Trump heard that from Tony Fauci, Dr. Fauci, who cannot be questioned, and questioned it, and in fact criticized it and said, quote, wrong. We have, uh, this is on Twitter, we have uh, more cases because we have tested far more than any other country. 60 million people. If we tested less, there would be less cases. How did Italy, France, and Spain do? Now Europe sadly has had flare-ups. Most of our governors work hard and smart, and we will come back strong. And the president was right. The U.S. has tested approximately 60 million people for coronavirus. How about the European countries? The European country with the most COVID-19 testing is the U.K. How many have they tested? 16 million. Germany has tested 8 million. Total testing for Italy and Spain is nearly 7 million. France, 3 million. We've tested 60 million people. So you think about that for a moment. No wonder we have so much of a higher number of positive tests. That doesn't mean there aren't positive positive, uh, cases and more infections in those other countries. They just stop testing. Not to mention they don't have as many people. 
The U.S. has the fourth most COVID-19 tests per one million population among countries most severely impacted by the coronavirus pandemic. But what's important here is what Congressman Jim Jordan did when he talked to uh, uh, Dr. Fauci. Congressman Jordan wanted to cut to the chase because the blame in the mainstream media is on um, uh, people having parties and people having backyard barbecues and people socializing at restaurants and so on and so forth. And Dr. Fauci and others are suggesting we need to stop that nonsense. We need to stop living our lives freely. But protesting? Putting thousands of people shoulder to shoulder and chest to back in the streets, blocking traffic, burning things, chanting? protesting does that factor into the number of positive cases here in the united states it's about time somebody asked him jim jordan is that somebody thank you mr chairman dr fauci do protests increase the spread of the virus do protests increase the spread of the virus uh, i think i can make a general statement well half a million protesters on june 6 alone yeah. i'm just asking that number of no. people does yeah. it increase the spread of the virus Cra- crowding together particularly when you're not wearing a mask contributes to the spread of the virus. Should we limit the protesting? I, I'm not sure what you mean. Should How do we say limit the protesting? Should government limit the protesting? I, I, I don't think that's relevant to... Well, to, you just said if it increases the spread of the virus, I'm just asking, should we limit it? Well, I'm, I'm not in a position to determine what the government can do in a forceful way. <laughs> Jim Jordan spent five minutes exposing Dr. Fauci as being a political pawn of the left. Because Dr. Fauci certainly has no problem calling for the government to do things in a political way, uh, in a forceful way, rather, when he said we need to shut down sports. Dr. Fauci had no problem saying people shouldn't get together in parties uh, bigger than 10. Dr. Fauci had no problem saying people should never shake one another's hands again. Dr. Fauci had no problem saying we should shut schools down. Dr. Fauci had no problem saying that, you just heard my quote, where he said, Europe shut down 95% of what their countries do. We only shut down 50% of ours, so we should be more like Europe. He has no problem saying we should do forceful things like that. But when Jim Jordan tries to get him to say, yes, we should shut down protests, yes, we should stop allowing people to gather in the streets of Portland, Seattle, Minneapolis, Atlanta, New York, Oakland, et cetera, et cetera, Cleveland, he won't say that those things should stop because that wouldn't be politically correct. Remember, the coronavirus doesn't attack righteous people doing righteous gathering the coronavirus only attacks those uh, that are that are not righteous people having a birthday party people um, having a memorial service a funeral for their loved one if you have more than 10 people there that's not righteous coronavirus gonna come and get you um, on the flip side you have a congressman who dies who is revered by all of America, and they can have hundreds of people at his funeral sitting shoulder to shoulder, not dis- distancing six feet apart, listening to Barack Obama not eulogize him, but slam the current president and policy. And that's okay. Again, righteousness, the coronavirus does not attack. But the unrighteous and those without enough virtue, that's where we've got to stop those gatherings because corona- coronavirus is coming. It's going to attack and it's going to spread. Think about that for a moment. This is what we're being told. Uh, President Trump exposed Fauci with the facts, and so did Jim Jordan. Ken and Parma's next. Hi, Ken. You're on the air. Go ahead. Yes, hi, Bob. 
Boy, the hypocrisy is yes, just Cap. amazing. Um, just, um, I heard over the, the news that the governor is um, taking three establishments for selling liquor over ten, after 10 p.m. Well, guess what? Yeah, yeah that was in our newscast. Um, you know what these establishments should do? They should take the wine to court, you know, not pay their fine, take them to court. And, I'm, of course, I'm not a lawyer, but, you know, this way they have to have all this information about um, what the governor is doing, all these numbers. This way all this information could be out in the open and, you know, sue the guy and get all this information on the public and see where we go from there and see how, you know. I'll tell you what, I, I, I would not be lie. surprised at all. Thank yeah, Kent, I gotta go. Thanks for the call. I, I would not be surprised if that isn't exactly what happens. Uh, there will be an attorney who is gonna be willing to represent these bars, uh, in a lawsuit, just like there was an attorney representing the gyms. I mean, look, the 1851 Law Center, too, is doing great, great work trying to push back against these arbitrary and just invented, made up, uh, governmental orders, all trying to, you know, find a way to quote unquote battle, uh, the coronavirus. And all they're doing is removing and revoking the personal rights of businesses in individuals judges have said numerous times that uh that dr acton and that governor dewine were wrong and they were not allowed to shut down businesses like gyms and other places and guess what i am certain they will also say that government is not allowed to issue an arbitrary time pre 10 o'clock drink all you want coronavirus is is not on the loose but come 10 o'clock that's when the coronavirus comes out and if you're drinking after 10 o'clock you're in trouble uh it's arbitrary it's made up it's invented it's trash and yes, it will be inside of a court of law. I have no doubt about that. 945, quick time out. Jim Jordan next. AM 1420, The Answer. Nine forty-eight on a Monday. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. You know what 948 on Monday means. It means Congressman Jim Jordan time. Right here on the Bob France Authority. Congressman, good to talk to you, sir. How are you? I'm fine, Bob. Good morning to you. Heck of a week for you. Uh, my goodness, you were all over the place. Bulldog that you are in the Bill Barr hearings and the big tech hearings and then going after Dr. Anthony Fauci on protests. Uh, that was a busy week for you, and I'm so glad you're here to uh, kind of recap it and talk about what's coming up next, uh, Congressman. Let's start. Yeah. Yeah. Let's start with what happened on Tuesday. Last, uh, or it was Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday, I think it was. Yep. Bill Barr. Yep. Yep. You, you know, Congressman, I, I was so looking forward to that that day's testimony. I was looking forward to that hearing because I wanted to see uh, Jerry Nadler yep. and the rest of the Democrats on that Judiciary Committee try to match wits with one of the smartest men in America. Uh, and yep. I, I, I couldn't wait to watch him just tear them apart. And come to find out, they also knew that he was going to tear them apart. So what they did <laughs> is they stopped him from talking. They literally wouldn't <laughs> let him speak. <laughs> they tried to stop him from going to the restroom for kids. Yeah, that too. <laughs> they, they, but you know, the funny thing is that they they, uh, they wouldn't let him talk. They wouldn't they wouldn't play our entire video, and they tried to stop him from going to the to the restroom for goodness sake. But the uh, but in spite of all that, he still kicked their tail. So um, you know, it, when he did get to speak, he did a great job. He's doing a great job as Attorney General, and I think the the, the consensus is that democrats look foolish uh they sure did i was i was right in there and watched it but um yeah i mean it's just crazy i think he had a great he had a lot of great lines but one time he says i, I thought this is the hearing don't you want to hear what i have to say yeah. and then and then 
But on substance, he also said this, which and we should never forget this point. He says, when are you guys going, when are you Democrats going to condemn the mob? When are, when are you going to, when are you going to speak out against this crazy defund the police and, and, and the violence that is happening by the mob uh, and, and what's happening to our law enforcement and what's happening to communities? And they just refuse to, they refuse to condemn it. So, um, Bill Barr did a great job. As you, as well, it's seven, it's seven days later, and they still haven't, you know, in, in private interviews yep. or anything else. They yep. still have not done right. that. Um, I know you can't change the rules of Congress, but but can you just speak to the insanity of that? I mean, as he said, look, I thought this is a hearing. I'm the one who's supposed to be heard, but he wasn't allowed. Everybody gets their five. You, you said this uh, to the Democrats at one point. You said, look, you have five minutes. You can either make a speech or you can ask questions. If you choose the latter, you have to let the guy answer. I mean, right. That, right. That's the frustrating thing part of, about the entire system and the way that works yeah no it, it is um let the guy respond i mean look there are times I, I understand there's times when you have certain witnesses where you have to kind of cut them off if they're filibustering but right. that was not the case with bill barr he was just not given an opportunity to to answer to respond and some of the things he wasn't given off this is when it's particularly bad when they were making accusations against him that were false Jeepers, you make false claims against the Attorney General of the United States, at least give him a chance to, to rebut and a chance to answer the accusation, uh, the false accusation. So it, it, was, uh, it was frustrating, but it was also telling, and the American people got to see it, and they got to see that the Attorney General is, as you said, a sharp guy who's doing a good job. And your video, by the way, was phenomenal. It was such a great move, you know, to, to expose Jerry Nadler's uh, claim that there's a, it's a myth of Antifa violence in Portland and so on and so forth, to just lay it out there for them is important. How about you, those, Bob, how, how about those journalists and elected officials who, who kept saying, that, who keep saying it's peaceful protest, that they're peaceful? Huh. I mean, the, the one, I mean, if this wasn't so serious, you would, you would really laugh because the one, the one said, it's it's largely a, a peaceful protest. It's not a there's a building on fire behind them, and they're right. saying it's a peaceful. Pro, it just like shows the absurdity of, of of the left's position today. Well, since you went there, let me let, let me just get your comment on this too. This is what's really striking to me. They'll say that it's a largely peaceful protest, and maybe it's only a few that are actually committing acts of violence. Now, that's not true. There's more than that. But let's let's stipulate right. that for just a moment for the sake of discussion. Let's say it's a largely people peaceful protest, but there's a few committing acts of violence that are that are really, really bad. We still should view it as largely peaceful. But when it comes to the police, there's just one or two bad cops who do something oh, bad, do point. something terrible, and yet we look at the entirety of policing as not being wonderful and great and, and, and no. protect and serve. They, they, they demonize the entire of the police force. Yeah, no, great. I mean, I couldn't have said it better. Great, great point. And here's the implications of that crazy thinking. When they go after the police, when they defund the police, if you saw the Wall Street Journal article, violent crime is up 25% compared to the same time frame in, 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 in last year. And, and murders are up 20 I mean, it, this is when, when you let lawlessness happen, when you defund the police, when you disparage the police, Bad things happen to officers. We're seeing that in all these violence, uh, in these protests uh, around the country. And bad things happen to communities. And that is that is happening as we speak. That's the implication. That's the ramification. That's the consequence of these crazy policies of the left and, and the disparaging of, of the of police force. Wednesday last week, Congressman, you got done with Bill Barr and all of that nonsense, and it was time to talk to big tech. I'll just cut to the chase. Big tech's out to get conservatives. 
That's not a suspicion. That's not a hunch. That's a fact. That is absolutely a fact. I love the way you just made that as pointed as you could. Do you think anything will come of this? We've we've brought these, you know, Zuckerbergs and Cooks and Bezos and Dorseys before and yelled at them, and then they go right back to yeah. doing what they've always done. Is there going to be any, you know, force behind these, uh, you know, these these hearings? I, I hope so. I, I don't. I don't really know because, like you said, this happened before, and I'm, I guess uh, you know someone someone asked, "What's the chances that they actually change their behavior?" And I, I, my initial response was zero chance. But I do think they know that more and more are watching them. More people like you, Bob, have been talking about this. So, so good folks in the press are talking about it. We're watching. We're pointing out every single time they they uh, censor the president and 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 at the same time allow Iran to say disparaging and terrible things about this country. So I, we're pointing that out more and more. And what I tried to do in my questioning was go to Google and say, hey, look, are you going to try to help it help the election for Joe Biden like you helped it, uh, tried to help Hillary Clinton in 2016? I, I tried to cut right to the chase there, too. Or we pointed out in the next 92 days, the less of it that's going to happen. And that, to me, is the main focus now as we look to a long-term solution. Yeah, and I, I don't know if that long-term solution is going to help us in the short term, as you said. we got 90 days of them promoting Joe Biden and censoring conservative support of Donald Trump. Uh, Breitbart, I know you talked about this and you've seen this, too. Yep. Breitbart's yep. visibility on their visibility scale on Google, which, of course, is so powerful. It's the search. It's the only search engine. I, I use DuckDuckGo. I know some people like to use Bing and others, but, but Google is a verb. You don't search anymore. You yeah. Google things. Google reduced Breitbart's visibility by 99.7%, and that's not accidental. That is intentional yep. because Breitbart is putting information out there that the you know CNNs of the world will not give you. And that impact on yep. our election in, in November, to me, you know, yeah, I think, you, I don't know if it's you or somebody else talked about it, forget about Russian uh, 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 intervention in American elections. Google is intentionally interfering with American elections and not yeah. trying to allow yep. Americans to, to make up their own minds in a, in, in a, you know, in a true democracy. Right. And again, that's not a suspicion. That's not a hunch. That happened. We have the email the day after the 2016 election where Google's executives are emailing back and forth. And the one email says, we tailored our features. We configured our, our features in such a way as to turn out the increase the turnout for the Latino vote in key. So they were electioneering. They were trying to increase the Latino turnout in Nevada and Florida in swing states. They didn't care as much about in increasing the turnout in California because they knew California was going to go for Clinton. They didn't care about increasing the Latino turnout in Texas because they knew Texas was going to go for President Trump. They cared about the swing states because they were trying to help Clinton. You're not supposed to do that. And, or if you do do that, it's, it's got to be a FEC, uh, a federal election uh, contribution. They didn't do that either. That's the concern. Very, very well said. Congressman Jim Jordan, our guest. Let's turn our attention to uh, coronavirus. And uh, this was another uh, outstanding uh, maneuver last week. I mean, Dr. Fauci, do protests increase the spread of the virus? Do protests increase the spread of the virus? Uh, I think I can make a general statement. Well, half a million protesters on June 6th alone. Yeah. I'm just asking that number of no. people, does yeah. it increase the spread of the virus? Cra crowding together, particularly when you're not wearing a mask, contributes to the spread of the virus. And you, of course, use that to follow up and saying, okay, so should this crowding that happens at protests be limited or eliminated by the government? You were trying to get Anthony Fauci to do what he's already done. He has condemned sporting events. He has condemned masses yep. and churches, uh, gatherings. He has condemned funerals. He has condemned graduations and parties. He said these things should all be eliminated. But when you say should we eliminate protests, suddenly Cat's got his tongue. Yeah, I mean, 
you know, think about what Americans have had to do. You can't go to church, you can't go to work, and you can't go to school. Three pretty darn important things in our, in our great culture, in our great country. But, oh, protest? Protest is fine. In fact, the same elected Democrats who, may, who make it tough for you to go to church, go to work, and go to school are actually out in the middle of the protest, bowing down, and in the case of Mayor Garcetti, bowing down to the mob without a mask on, hundreds, thousands of people around him, and he's doing that. But somehow that is fine. But you going to go to a loved one's funeral during COVID? You want to go to church? You want to go to work? I mean, that's, how about these two guys in New Jersey who want to just open their business and run their lives? You can't work out in their gym, but if you stand 10 feet outside their door, same number of people closer together protesting, that's just fine. And, and I think a lot of Americans are fed up with the inconsistency of enforcing or, or allowing us well, to engage in our fundamental liberty. You mentioned the loved one's funeral. You can't have more than 10 people there. How many people were at John Lewis's funeral? And were they six feet apart? Because I looked and I saw the videos, and no, they weren't. There were hundreds there. And appa- yeah. apparently the coronavirus only strikes uh, the unrighteous. If you are righteous and you're a protester, the coronavirus isn't going to touch you. If you're righteous and at John Lewis's funeral, coronavirus is not a threat. But if you are, uh, you know, an evil, uh, you know, right-winger and you just want to go and ch- go to church <laughs> or go to your loved one's funeral while well, the coronavirus is coming to get you if there's more than 10 of you there the hypocrisy is just yeah. what we can't stand congressman no, I, I i'm with you it's driving me crazy you know the, these these arbitrary rules look we all we all have common sense we all want to be safe we all know uh we have loved ones who are older we we want to be real cautious around them we all wear masks when we're in real tight quarters we all try to, we all try to follow the common sense but this this idea that somehow government is is the only one who can think about this question who cares more about their employees and their customer, the government or the business owner who counts on those employees to build his or her business, who understands that if they don't satisfy their customers' needs and demands, that they're not going to be in business? Don't you think the business owner, that small business owner, cares more about the safety and well-being of the people who work for him and the customers he serves or she serves than the government? But no, no, in Washington, it's always the government knows best. And I am sick of it. And then exactly. what I'm really sick of, and I think so Americans are, they're sick of this, this double standard. 100% right. That hypo- hypocrisy, that double standard is exactly what we're tired of. And then the last question I have for you, Congressman, before you go. President Trump last week uh, roiled some uh, Democrats uh, talking about maybe we should delay the election if we if it's not safe to vote in person. And he, of course, is just trying to highlight the threat of an all-mail-in <laughs> election. The fact that it is going to yeah. be rife with fraud and opportunities to cheat the uh, the system. Uh, your thoughts on the Democrat response. They seem to be all in on all-mail. Yeah, they are, and and look, uh, they they've always tried to, they're always trying to make things that in in a way that is is an advantage for for them. All I, all I all I know is, look, we we got to make sure President Trump gets gets reelected because where the left wants to take this country is frightening. So let's do everything we can. If it's mail in ballots in certain states and they do that, I, I think that's the wrong way to go. But if that's the if that's the issue. Then let's let's make sure our voters are mailing their ballots early, and we're we're if that's the rules, that's the rules. I would prefer we vote on election day, like we always have, and we we stick with that. But the main thing I'm concerned about is we got to win because where the left wants to go is is a as I said, it's right. No, no, I agree with you, but that's my concern. You know, you can say let's get out to vote and get our voters out there to mail them in, but I I don't know it's going to be delivered. I don't know that it's going to be counted. You know, somebody said to me this: if you had a winning Powerball ticket. And you got it. It was time to cash it in. Would you put it in an envelope and send it in the U.S. Postal Service in, in order to get your money, or would you say I'm going in person to hand that ticket? Yeah. In, right, because that's the value of our vote. To me, our vote is a yeah. Powerball ticket. 
Yeah. No. Well. Well said. And I, I'm I'm that way too. On general election, uh, you, I show up and vote in person, and um, I think that's that's what we could, we should do. Look, we, people are going to work. It's essential. What's more essential that, that you know than 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 our election process, our voting process? Can't we do that in a safe way on election day, and you show up in person? I think we can. But obviously, the left wants to go down this 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 other road. I hope we don't. But if that's the rules, then I know this: we got to turn out our people uh, with whatever. And I think the yeah. president's point is, Bob, and you, you know this as well: that if if it's an all mail-in vote, well, we know on election night who the winner is. Or are we going to wait? We Absolutely like not. They're doing in some other states right now. That's the scary thing. So let's let's have as much in-person voting as we possibly can. That's what I want to focus on. And most of what I want to focus on is making sure Donald Trump wins and we take back the House of Representatives. Amen to that. Congressman Jim Jordan, thank you so much for the time. You bet. Take care. Congressman Jordan joining us. We went overtime, but we're going to come back strong. Uh, former Attorney General Matt Whitaker joining us next.